0: Alright, well this morning we're going to be going over in our continued series in Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So my hope this morning is actually that, if nothing else, that these things that we're going to touch on here in Romans 5, that it would lead us to joyfully enter into worship. And that will hopefully even walk away with a greater joy and understanding, and the the knowledge and the fruit of the of justification that we have been talking through in the begin or in chapter four. And that will hopefully walk away too with an under, a greater understanding of just God's unfathomable love for us um, as we suffer through life's trials and uh, difficulties. So here's the passage that we're going to be looking at verses. One through eleven. Huh. It's a little cut off on my uh, my screen. Let's see if this helps. Not so much. Um, well, does somebody have a have a copy of the scriptures they could read for us? Verses one through eleven. All right. Thanks, Mark.
1: us by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to die by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we
0: have now received reconciliation. All right. Well, thank you. There's so much in this particular passage. There's, there's multiple sessions that we could do just on this. So we're going to be just touching on some of the um, things that I thought would be really helpful to us this morning. So, of course, whenever we, we start a passage with therefore, not stop, we need to see what it is there for. Um, so I thought this would be helpful to just kind of review just briefly where we've been uh, starting through Romans chapter 1 through 4. So we, we saw in chapter 1 right, how God is pouring out his, his wrath upon all ungodliness and, and unrighteousness. Uh, we saw then later that his judgment then against all of this is just because uh, all have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. <clears throat> and then we saw that there's trying to keep the law in circumcision. There's, uh, there's none of that that will render a verdict of being righteous, either if you're a Jew or, or a Gentile. Um, <clears throat> but God, I love that phrase, but God, who is the just and justifier of our faith, has given us Christ so that we can be declared righteous, right? We looked at... Uh, the example of Abraham, Genesis 15, 6, where Abraham believed God, and as in scriptures tell us, that it was accounted to him for, for righteousness. So we saw then that Abraham was justified, and we, we looked at that term. We, we said it was a legal, a, a forensic term, meaning that Christ's righteousness was imputed to us, uh, or credited to us, kind of like it was to, to Abraham as well, because he trusted in God's promise to make him an heir, To make him a great nation. And so basically, here in the first four chapters, Paul has shown us um, that a believer is justified by faith, not in works of the law. Not a believer receives forgiveness, receives the imputed righteousness of Christ. That alone is great news for us to enter into worship with much joy and thanks and gratitude. So that brings us then to Chapter 5. There's more. Paul is actually talking to us about what does it mean to be justified. And so that's what I kind of want to look at here is um, some fruit of, of justification. What does this mean for, for us? <clears throat> so we're going to look at what comes as a result of being justified. So let's go back then to the text. We have... The first one that uh, that Paul mentions, which is the the, the primary one that he brings out first, is that we have peace with God. This is what I call a wow moment. W-O-W, worthy of worship. This is something that you can take with you going into worship. This is something that should elicit joy. This is an awesome conclusion to what Paul has been talking about in the fact that we've been justified. It's an amazing announcement. Because, w- w- wait a second, Paul, weren't you just talking about in chapter 1 that God's wrath is being poured out on all ungodliness and all these lists of different things that he had mentioned, and now you're saying that we can have peace with God? Isn't that just, I mean, isn't that for the ungodly? Yeah. And and guess what? We are the ungodly. That's what some of us were and left to ourselves, we have to admit that it is our natural inclination not to love God, but to hate Him. <clears throat> so when God's mercy breaks through, when He opens our eyes, we repent of our sins, we come to Christ, we're justified. God signs a peace treaty with us. War is is over. There is peace with God. <clears throat> What kind of peace is this? This is Paul describes as this is a kind of a transcendent peace. It's it's beyond our comprehension. It's a peace that is not found in, in the world. Jesus said in, in John fourteen, peace I leave you. My peace I leave you. <clears throat> I do not give to you as the world gives. And there's a difference then between peace that we, we think that we can find here in the world and, and the peace that, that God gives us. Um, it's not hard to see that our world seeks to be at rest from the inner anxiety and turmoil. There's all kinds of things that are out there that, that tell us that we can be at peace with ourselves and um, <clears throat> I like uh, Augustine. One of his uh, phrases that he had said at one time is, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. That's really true. Until that happens, all that the best of the world can give us and what we seek to to bring peace and rest to our souls, whether it's accomplishments or um, relationships or possessions that we have or you know, the, the normal drugs, alcohol, sex, jobs, even religion. We're just trying to get away on, on a vacation. Don't get me wrong, there, there are certain levels of, of peace that perhaps that we can even achieve and pacify our, our souls. Um, frankly, there's a, a rather cheap and, and accessible one for me. I enjoy a hot shower or a hot bath once in a while. If you're old enough... You may recall a brilliant marketing campaign by a company called Calgon. You guys remember that? You remembered it. It says, shows a picture of somebody in a bathtub. It's peaceful, it's serene, and the phrase is, Calgon, take me away. Why do we have to take me away? Because there's so much stress and anxiety. Here's a product that promises to just Give me a little bit of a break from that. <clears throat> so we know that, you know that a peaceful sunset. Um, being out in, in the open. I enjoy being out in nature. It's peaceful. But as R.C. Sproul puts I, I really like this. There's a foundational anxiety that can never be quieted apart from our justification. You cannot be fulfilled inwardly no matter what you do, no matter what you possess, uh, if you are estranged from your creator, if you are at war with him. So this peace with God comes only through justification, and that is what satisfies that foundational anxiety that's within us. So people of God, Paul's announcement to you this morning is, this peace is for you. It's an amazing object to praise God when we enter into worship here in, in, uh, after Sunday school in just a few moments. It's good news. But wait, there's more. I can see that, uh, that you guys want some more. So let's take a look. I think Paul has some more stuff for us. All right. So we looked at the fact that, number one, we have peace with God. Paul also brings out to the fact that we now have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This is through Christ. Oh, okay. What does that mean? <clears throat> Gaining access to God's grace. To, to really think about this, uh, to understand it completely, we have to go all the way back to the garden, <clears throat> where man had access immediately into God's Presence, But with Adam and Eve transgressing and falling into sin against God and God driving them out of the garden, he no longer had access, immediate access, to the presence of God. Well, what are you talking about, Cam? I, I, I mean, I thought God was omnipresent. Didn't he make covenants with Abraham and Moses, promising to be in the midst of them in the with his people in the tabernacle? Yes, that is true. But even then, you'll recall that even the, the high priest who could enter into his immediate presence, and that only once a year, after he fulfilled all these various rites of purifications and, and, and cleansing, um, only there, and then, if he completed all of those things perfectly, did he dare enter into the immediate presence of God. See, Israel, or people can draw near to God, but they could not enter into his immediate presence. <clears throat> it was separated, separated by this massive curtain with multiple layers, um, so difficult to get through. It was even harder to get through that than, than say, a, a wooden door. And it just reminded the people constantly a visual that there was something that was in between them and God, they had to keep their distance. Mark. I also read this week about how the Jews were probably afraid to come before him because he came down in great darkness. You know, he came upon Mount Sinai, thunderings, loud you know, lightnings. Mm-hmm. They were afraid of dying just coming before. Now we could be calm. Yeah, yeah. That's I. Uh, I thought of that too. When um, there is there is this constant sense of of fear. I mean, there's reverence, but. It was a fearful thing to even get, to get near him. Moses, please go, go say something. Yeah. Um, so, you, so you can see that there's this massive separation between um, God's people and, and himself. That was the garden coming to the Mount Sinai temple. Fast forward then to the hour of Jesus' death that we see in Matthew 27. That curtain that hung there in the temple shredded in two as if it was tissue paper. All of a sudden. Why? Because now this barrier, this physical barrier, but also the barrier of sin between God and man was removed by Christ's atoning work on the cross, so that now those who are in Christ are able to come into the presence of God by the, by the grace of, of justification. It's not done by our merit. This is done by God's mercy. And so this is good news. We now have removed that that fear. We are actually been able to come into his presence because of Christ, because now we are able, as the passage says, we're able to stand. This is our our standing now in in Christ. There is grace. As Paul will say later in in Romans chapter 8, There's now no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ enables us to come boldly before this throne as one of his very own. able to call him Father. We're one of his children. That's great news. Hang on. I can see you're still not satisfied. Paul realized that. Paul's going to give us yet even more. All right. <clears throat> so let's look at another one. So first we had, what's the first benefit? Peace with God. Peace with God. Now we have, secondly, access to, God's grace. access to his grace. So third, we're looking at rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. <clears throat> Joy and, and hope. These are two experiences that are are really interrelated. Um, We have probably heard it before, but hope in the biblical sense is is not like uh, our our society's idea of of hope, um, which is usually just a a, a mere desire or or wish, something that is uncertain. Uh, I hope that 2021 is going to be better than last year. I hope they remember to put extra bacon on my pizza, um, things that are uncertain. We, we don't know if that's going to happen. That's not the kind of hope that Paul is talking about. Why? What, what makes this better here? This is a hope that is certified by the promise of God, whom we know cannot lie and will do as he says that he will do. And it's confirmed to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so we know that it's, it's solid, it's solid. It's, trustworthy, it's unchanging. And with this certainty of the future then, comes the occasion for joy. And so, yes, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does Paul mean by glory of God? I don't want to pass over that one too fast. Um, There's, uh, in this particular passage, glory, the the Greek um, it's D-O-X-E. Do you pronounce that dox? I don't know. I know it's... That was, I, don't, I didn't see the... Uh, it was just a doxe, and I, I didn't know if it was dox or dox. So whatever it is, it's Greek, and it means heaviness or weightiness. So you think in, in terms of the glory of God, it's, it's talking about the deep significance of, or the, the weightiness, the dignity of God <clears throat> that we are putting our hope and our, and our joy in. <clears throat> so our, our hope, then, we glory in God and, and, and not ourselves because our significance is derived from from him uh, and his mercy and, and not us and in, in our merit. Because when we look at ourselves, honestly, um, we can become easily discouraged with all the sin that we still see indwelling within our hearts. Um, but we know as believers that there, there is a part of us that desires to do that which is is righteous, uh, to be done with this brokenness, to be done with that which robs us of our joy and our fellowship with God and each other. But we have this hope. It's a certain hope. It is a guaranteed hope that one day that God's glory will prevail over that sin we, and we are finally... Uh, glorified with him and sin is completely removed so we have a taste of future glory we have now and and not yet elements here so we know that this hope is going to be fulfilled that it will come and so we rejoice so Paul gives us then a third reason to rejoice wow you guys are I can tell you want some more alright well this is good because Paul talks some more about another fruit. All right, so we had what? Peace of God. We have access to God. We have hope. Fourthly, we rejoice in sufferings. What? We rejoice in suffering, Paul. That sounds hard. How do we do that? Suffering is inevitable. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. We know that. The scriptures tell us, and by experience, we know. So why didn't he just say, well, we endure our, our sufferings? Because, I mean, God's in control. There's nothing we can do about it, so I might as well not be upset about it. And we're just going to stiff upper lip and, and grin and bear it. But Paul says to rejoice. And our sufferings. And not just here. We see this in other areas, too. <clears throat> um, so why do we, we rejoice? How can we do this? Now, well, Christian, if you believe that God truly is sovereign and in control of all things, then the most bitter of human experiences, and, and hear me, I don't say this lightly, but the most bitter of human experiences, the death of a loved one, the unexpected death of a loved one, debilitating diseases, being violated in the most unimaginable ways, rejected, anything that our hearts just dread the most in the depths of our being. Paul says these are not only tolerable, but we can actually glory in them and rejoice because we know that God has promised to redeem every pain that we experience. Emphasis on we know. This isn't just a gut feeling. This isn't just a, well, I, I, I think. We have the scriptures, so we know that we can rejoice that God can use these things. Um, we know that there's a future glory coming. When that comes, there will be no pain, more pain, there will be no more tears. So, to rejoice then, I'm saying, is to trust God with our suffering. Not just enduring it, not just it's tolerable, but rejoicing. God, I know that you will use us. I'm trusting you with this. <clears throat> you will use us for your glory. I, I I know that this is also for my good. And Paul also says here that it's too to produce perseverance. It's not very hard to bring to mind Job, right? We're we're going through this in our in our sermon series. We just started the the book of Job. You know, today in our sermon, we are going to get a vivid picture of what a really, really bad day looks like. Outside of Christ, I can't think of anybody who suffered worse than Job. He could be the poster child for for suffering. But you know what? At the end, Job could not have been, become what he was, could not have learned perseverance, would not develop character, wouldn't have much had the hope if he didn't go through all of that excruciating suffering. Now, I know none of us have gone through that kind of suffering to to the degree that Job has, but you may have gone through suffering that was very hard for you, and it's amazing how God uses those things to show us lovingly depend on me. Not on the things that you see, not in the things that you have. And I will help you persevere through it. You will make it through. It develops character. <clears throat> develops hope. Man, there's a lot more that I, I could really say um, about this part in, in in suffering and scripture's calling us to to uh, rejoice in that but perhaps one last thing i might mention just about suffering in general uh, i like how paul says in here our sufferings not i mean not not just my sufferings it's we all suffer together we're not alone we suffer together as a church but we also know that christ suffered and you know, when you're going through a really tough time, <clears throat> you might be tempted to think this is unique to me. Well, it's not. But when you when you find somebody who's kind of gone through that, you really want to pour your heart into them. Oh, yeah. oh, you understand what I've been through. The scriptures are trying to show us that this is Christ. He's the one that gets us. He's the one that understands our heart because he knows it better than anybody else, even ourselves. He's the one that understands us the most. He suffered. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be mocked, to be despised, to be persecuted, to be left all alone. Disciples even abandoned him. He understands our suffering. Mark. Yeah, <clears throat> well, yeah, we, we know. The scriptures tell us that for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in, in all ways, was tempted as we are, yet, yet without sin. When Christ was uh, in, on earth, he, he saw the effects of sin on people, their own sin, the sins of others on people, had passion, had you know, pity on them, um, knows but was not part of sin, I could see what it was doing doing to them. I, I am
1: right? um, um,
0: not sure so what you mean. Sad, you be I'm so oh, oh. Yeah. oh, No. Oh, yeah. No, it's not. Sadness is very much a part of the human experience uh, in the Christian life. Christ was even described as a man of sorrows. Um, So yes, sadness, comes. I mean, that's what causes us to long more for Christ. Um, The suffering that we're going through, yeah. Uh, This life is not going to be perfect. Um, Pastor White.
1: <laughs> he expressed, he doesn't suppress, in his faithfulness, he doesn't suppress human beings <clears throat> as if godliness is stoicism. He, he reflects the culture of his day, the, the way in which his culture mourned, although he doesn't go to the extreme of gashing his body, which was typical of the pagan nations when they, when they, when they were in time of great sorrow. Huh.
0: That's the um, passage, too, that at the very end, doesn't it say, in all of this, Job did not sin? All that expression of sorrow, sadness, grief. Not like, well, but God's still in control. Praise God! Yeah, he was extremely broken, sad, didn't sin. Yeah. Think of that family that Hannah Burton had asked us to pray for, the Fords, who lost their 27 year old daughter in a car accident, unexpected, engaged, three weeks. There's a lot of mourning that's going to be there for a long time. Eileen. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's, it's it's to not dwell on that um putting our eyes on ourselves and not on Christ. If if it's on ourselves, I could see it being more led to bitterness. If it's in keeping our eyes on him, um but yeah, I mean we're we're human it can it can lead to that too. Um so this, yeah, to, to sum it up, it's, it's not saying rejoice in suffering. It's not saying, you know, yay, yippee, skippy, clap hands, squeal with joy. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a part of that inner peace, the, the peace that comes, rejoicing in the sense of, okay, I know this is not for, for nothing. I know I'm not suffering in vain. I know that this has been decreed. There's a satisfaction in somewhat um, in knowing that it's, um, it's for, for good. All right. I got one more for you, Mark. I was really tempted to use that sham wow guy. Uh, <laughs> but wait, there's more um, uh, yeah, I was. I even was going to take the Bible and, and have him holding the Bible. Like, I'm like, nah, it's, uh, I'm like, you know, all right. All right, one more Paul has. <clears throat> he says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. <clears throat> um, oops, getting ahead of myself. All right, little quiz. Um, the Bible kind of recognizes three types of love. Um, does anybody have an idea of some of those? Agape. Agape, yes. Phileo, Phileo. yes, the uh, brotherly love. And then what? No. No, this is this is uh, the basic one. Even the world would be like, oh yeah. Uh, oh, did someone say yes? Um, yes, Eros, um, romantic love. Uh, that's where we get the word erotic from—the attraction um, between a man and a woman. Um, eros love, phileo, and agape. That's correct. Um, Paul here is referring to the agape love, which is special love that is a gift of God to his people. Um, A fruit not only of justification, but it's also of the Holy Spirit, which he uh, tells us here in verse 5. So God puts into the hearts of every believer this kind of love. It is a supernatural grace by the work of the Holy Spirit. And, And it's not just a a, an increased greater love for one another. This is actually a, a love for God and, and a love for, for Christ. <clears throat> Around the table earlier this week, um, I was talking with uh, my kids about uh, how, do we, how do we know that really I can be a believer? Uh, how, do, how do I know? Um, one supreme test, whether a person is a Christian or not, is do they have a genuine love in their heart for Jesus Christ? That person may not have all their ducks in a row in terms of, of doctrine, but you know, they, they may not even have their life completely together. But the question remains, does he love Jesus? Does she love Jesus? Without this love poured out, Um, in someone without the work of the Holy Spirit in them, he will not, yes, he cannot, love Jesus. Oh, they might respect him. They might even say that, yeah, he he has some good things to say. Um, But there is going to be no love for him outside of justifying faith. It has to be the work of of the Lord. So there is a, a, a deep and great love that God himself pours into our hearts. So all of these are wow movement, moments. They're all worthy of, of worship. <clears throat> um, but speaking of, of love, um, Paul, he actually goes into uh, verses 6 through 11, um, going into exactly how God pours out his love in Christ, Uh, says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Amen. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, now we also, in God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. So here... Paul goes into just the scope, verses 6 through 8, of of the love that God has for us. Christ died for us, the ungodly. Now, we hear this all the time, right? So I I don't want this to to lose its potency. Uh, How much love is that where God sends his own son who has no sin in him, perfectly innocent, perfect relationship with the Father and the Son, he sends him to die for the most vile, ungodly, unlovable, undesirable people of God. Um, that's amazing. This wasn't just a, something that came about. Paul says that this came at the right time in redemptive history. From the beginning of, of time all of this was decreed by God to happen, <clears throat> culminated in, in Christ. You know, the other thing that I love about this too is that God did not wait for us to get our act together, to come to him, but he acted first in our redemption. Not that we loved him, but he first loved us. <clears throat> this is not your typical love story, is it? I mean, if you think about the you know your favorite movie that has a romantic love story to it, uh, cheesy Hallmark movies, right? The guy with the flannel always gets the girl. There's a commonality to all of these, right? There's the element of attraction, either by a physical attraction or um, by attraction to character. We even see this in the Bible, right? We see the beauty of Rachel. Jacob recognized that. Wow, there's an attraction there. Boaz, he was attracted to Ruth because of her character. So we see that. But, but here, in God's love for his church, um, that element is missing in the bride of Christ. There, there is no beauty here. There's nothing that would attract him to us. There's nothing lovely or desirable about us. You recall Romans 1, right? We we talked about all these these sins that incur the wrath of God. And despite all of that, Christ died for us. Oh, one may die for a righteous person, he says, or even a, a good person, but who would die for an absolutely evil, vile person worthy of death? As I was studying this, this made me recall Ezekiel 16. This is a passage that sometimes we read in the reading of the law, and and Pastor White will will have me read this. Um, I had to prepare myself to read that. Um, I'm not easily brought to tears. When you read that passage and you see the vileness of us, how we were unwanted in a field, wallowing in our sin and in our, in our blood, and Christ came and said, Live. Live. And then he brings us into his fold, into his family. He adorns us. He clothes us. And so, so we're beautiful. But then we throw it all away and we we go and we worship other things. In fact, the scriptures, <laughs> it's a graphic. They call us worse than a whore. Oh, at least a whore will get money for what, what they do. No, you, you actually pay somebody else to do it. Why did Christ die for that? Still gets me. <clears throat> Uh, while well, we were still weak not physically weak no we're talking about deadness and weak morally how do we know that? well because it says that he died for the ungodly um, that's us later he says he died for us <clears throat> um, alright having to wrap this up Verses 9 through 10. I wish I could go into more of this. This is good stuff. Um, the love of God. There's a, there's a now and a not yet aspect to that. It is guaranteed. His love is, is secured uh, in what we have now and what we, we have to come. Um, since, therefore, we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved in this life. Uh, the, the biblical concept of salvation, it's, it's complex um, in, in the word of God. Uh, I mean, it's used in the past tense, it's used in the imperfect tense, the, the present tense, the future tense, and so on. So, in a sense, here that there is, um, we are saved, we are being saved, uh, we shall be saved. <clears throat> um, justification. It, uh, it occurs at the moment I believe, and at that moment, I'm brought into a state of salvation. I am saved, right? Right? But my salvation still needs to be finalized. It needs to be consummated in ultimate uh, glory. Um, But it is being um, sanctified and it's being developed and and nurtured. So I am being saved. I won't receive my ultimate salvation until I'm in in heaven. So since I am justified, which is the, the now, Guaranteed the ultimate salvation for when I enter heaven into glorification. The not yet, but this is secured. And here also, you'll note that Paul introduces reconciliation into the mix. It's not only did Christ's death justify me, but He also reconciled me. This is justification. We talked about being a changing of my legal standing with with God, but. Also, there's a legal uh, change with my relationship. Um, it's, been, it's been restored. Harmony has been restored to my relationship with God, and Paul says we, we have this now. It's not something that takes place in the future. It's something that we now have right now in the moment when, when we believed. <clears throat> I want you to note something. I, I, I kind of saw this as, as I was studying it. Um, I mentioned that God, it's him who takes that first move in our salvation. These highlighted areas are further evidence to show you God's role in our salvation. He is the one that acts. We are acted upon. Check this out. We have been justified. We have peace. We have also obtained God's love has been poured out into our hearts. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us. Again, Christ died for us. We have now been justified. We shall be saved by him. We were reconciled. Again, we are reconciled. We shall be saved. We now have received all of these things are being acted upon. God is the one who, who moves. Well, what do we do? There's three times mentioned. Here's what we do. As a result of hearing these things that God has done for us through our salvation, through being justified, we rejoice. <clears throat> rejoice and hope. We rejoice when we suffer. We rejoice in God himself. That is what we do. We give thanks because this came about not because of us, not because of any merit in us, but because of his mercy. So what joy and hope that we have, really, when we enter into worship. All of these are now. But wait, there's more, right? The not yet. It's coming. It's guaranteed. It is secure. It is certain. It is going to happen. So all of these things that we take with us as we enter into worship, to praise our God, but also when we leave worship and we go into our next week, and we're going to face all different kinds of various trials and and sufferings. But check out the anchors that that Paul mentions here and remember these things, the the benefits and the fruit of our justification. These are now yours if you are in Christ. Any uh, final thoughts or, or questions before we wrap this up? Karen. Oh yeah. Mhm. That'd be interesting to see if cuz a lot of times they reference scriptures under that. I want to be interesting if Romans 5 was part of that. But yeah, what a perfect sum summarization of uh, the benefits believer has from Romans 5. Really, excellent. All right. Nothing else? We'll go ahead and close in prayer and start worship in about eight minutes. Father, Lord, there is so much for us to be thankful for, to rejoice in. Lord, not only in our justification, Lord, also in our, our sufferings that we go through, we're thankful that you are with us as we go through that. We thank you for securing our, our salvation in Christ, that it will be one day ultimately glorified when we enter into glory. But Father, we pray that until then that you would sustain your people, that you would help us to persevere, that that would lead to character, Lord, that that would lead to a hope that doesn't change. So thank you, Lord, for being with us. I pray that Your Spirit, that is who is in us now, would would cause us to remember these things, that we might remain as anchors in the midst of life storms. In Your name, we pray. Amen. Dismissed.